All right, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Sunday night, as I'm recording this one uh, pretty late after the Nuggets ultimately wrapped up against the Miami Heat in their first Summer League exhibition. Final score of that one was 97-77. to uh, Well, I'll get to that one in just a little bit. First segment of this pod will be about the Summer League Nuggets. Second segment's going to be about the Michael Porter Jr. extension, why that hasn't happened yet, and just general questions that I have. Also attaching some thoughts on tampering towards the end of it. Uh, there's There's been a, a league-wide discussion about tampering with different things coming down against the Miami Heat, Chicago Bulls, things like that. I'll just do two segments. Podcast is going to be about 30, 35 minutes in all likelihood, or at least that's what I'm going to be shooting for, but going to be a little bit abbreviated, especially the summer league portion of it, because uh, Denver, they were without nine of their rostered players on this summer league group, including Zeke Naji, Bones Highland, and Marcus Howard, three of the four, I would say three of the four most entertaining and high potential players on the roster. Uh, we've already seen what Zeke Naji, what Marcus Howard can do at the professional level. There's some excitement to be had there. And Bones Highland is a player that is sort of meant to break out in Summer League, where he has an opportunity to shoot jumpers as many as he wants to, uh, kind of get the ball in his hands a little bit, be creative. There's a lot of excitement surrounding those three guys, and all three of them being out was a really big blow to the entertainment level and also the uh, the skill level for this Nuggets group. Uh, they were left with Bol Bol, and I'll get to him in just a little bit here, and just kind of a bunch of dudes. And I'm going to go through some of the players that I thought stood out in both good ways and bad uh, in this segment, but... Nuggets lose 97-77 to against the Heat. They went down about 20 in the first quarter. Basically stayed that way throughout most of the game. Uh, Bull Bull, he had himself a tale of two halves, I thought. First half, wasn't very active, wasn't very engaged. He had zero rebounds in the first half. Uh, it wasn't a good look. He had, I think, six points, one of five from the field. Uh, not a whole lot of activity level. Not a whole lot of involvement from him. Second half, he turned it up a little bit, especially in the fourth quarter, and it was really good to see that. He finishes with 21 points on 5 of 14 from the field, so inefficient there, but did get to the line 14 times and made 11 of 14 from the free throw line. That's a really good sign. That's what you want to see from somebody like him who, if he can't get good shots off, he's getting fouled because opponents are... They're doing their best to contest his jumper, and it just wasn't working for them. So, finishes with 21 points, 14 free throw attempts, 5 rebounds, including one offensive rebound, which is his first offensive rebound since the bubble. Think about that for a second. At 7'2", he hadn't had an offensive rebound all of last season. So, glad he got that out of the way. Uh, one assist, one steal, two blocks. Did have six turnovers. Didn't commit any fouls, which I think is very interesting. Uh, he, in defensive situations, was playing off, I think, a lot. And was was when he got switched out onto the perimeter, 
he would be playing kind of away from the player, daring them to take jumpers and them having them uh, shoot over the top of his outstretched arms, which he's got a long wingspan. It's really tough to shoot over Bull Bull. Unfortunately, I think NBA players and even summer league players in some instances, they're comfortable taking those shots. And that's why these players shoot over dummies where, where player development coaches hold up a dummy over the top of the jump shooting motion and force those players to just continue to learn how to shoot into the rim, even through an outstretched contest. So Bull Bull is going to have to learn how to play up a little bit more, force teams and force players to drive to the rim so that then he can use his length, his athleticism to get their shots at the rim. You want to get those guys off of the three-point line. And there were a couple of instances where they took perimeter jumpers and were still pretty comfortable doing so. Um, He still gets moved around a lot. There are a lot of times where bigger players are burying him underneath the basket. And what's really going to stand out about Bull Bull in a lot of these cases is that he plays a lot like a perimeter player on the offensive end, floating around a little bit, not necessarily knowing where to be unless he can get the ball in the high post, in the mid post, uh, and then catch and make a move and then either take a jump shot or try to get to the rim. Uh, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how his role continues to evolve because I see him operating in a lot of the same places on the court unless he's operating with the ball in his hands in transition, which that generally means that he's going to take the shot anyway. Uh, I'm not going to write off Bull Bull here, but I do kind of see him as very one-dimensional in a lot of cases. He has a really nice mid-range jumper. He can get to it pretty reasonably well. Uh, He can block some shots on the other end of the floor. But so far, I haven't really seen enough from him in the other areas as a role player that I think he'll ever crack the Nuggets rotation. It's game one of Summer League. So this could be way overstepping the bounds. Don't get me wrong. But Bull Bull's never going to be the focal point of Denver's offense. I find it very... Uh, find it very unlikely, is what I will say. Now, the Nuggets, they said that they were going to use Bull Bull in much of the way that the Nuggets used Nikola Jokic during the regular season. And maybe there's something to be said that Bull Bull could operate in that same kind of fulcrum area that Jokic does, but just when Jokic goes to the bench. And then you have Bull Bull out there, and he might not be as big or as passing skilled or whatnot, but there are ways that he could probably add to it. The problem is, is that most of Denver's minutes with Bull Bull last year, a lot of them came either with the starting lineup in, and he was playing the three next to Paul Millsap and Nikola Jokic, which really displaced him. Or it happened in garbage time, where it's really hard to set up actual offense to really figure out if any of that is going to be possible. So I wonder if maybe the idea in using Bull Bull in this way is to see if he can operate as the backup center. The Nuggets haven't signed an actual center 
to their roster. They have Jamichael Green, Jeff Green, uh, Zeke Najee is more of a he's more of a pick and pop guy, more of a power forward in a lot of cases, but he has a lot of role player tendencies where he will be able to operate next to Nikola Jokic, next to uh, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, guys like that. And he'll be able to fill a role in a lot of those cases. I'm not sure if Bol Bol is going to be able to scale in that way because of the way his skill set is operating. He might be able to, but I wonder if the best way to use him is to surround him and kind of make him the focal point of the bench uh, and see if he can do that for 12 to 15 minutes a night. That might not be a good idea. And I think that you, you'll, you're going to run into a lot of problems with that because it doesn't really look like Bulbul was ready in the summer league game to be able to handle that. Like, how is he going to handle it against NBA level backups even? But we're a long way from that. We're still trying to figure out what Bulbul is. Uh, he likely will not be in Denver's main rotation. But if he proves enough during this these next few games, this experience down here, then maybe Denver keeps him on the roster and says, okay, look, Zeke Nashi's going to get the first crack at it. But if he struggles, then maybe Bol Bol gets the second crack at it. And you try to find a way to stay big as opposed to going small with Jeff Green, Jamichael Green, guys like that. So we will see. We will see what he continues to do. Let's move on to different players. Let's go to Caleb Agata. Uh, Caleb was a high-volume player in this game. He took 22 shots, made eight of them, uh, did make four of 10 threes, has some pretty interesting step-back moves and, and sidestep threes, which I thought were pretty good. Uh, it was nice to see him be able to make those. Had a lot of shots uh, going at the rim where he was pretty wild trying to get all the way to the rim and took some bad fallaways, took some really tough shots at the rim while trying to drag some defenders with them, maybe open up some offensive rebounding opportunities for Denver. But I kind of like Caleb Agata. Plays pretty hard. Does a lot of different things. Finished tonight with 21 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, uh, 2 steals. Did have 4 turnovers, but he was a plus 3 and played 28-45. Uh, that's pretty jarring. Uh, Denver lost the game by 20. So in the minutes where he didn't play, the uh, the 11 minutes and 15 seconds that he did not play, uh, the Nuggets were a minus 23. So uh, that kind of leads me to Arnos Velika, who Lithuanian guard number one out there. Uh, he had a really tough go at it, especially in his first stint. Uh, didn't take any shots, I think, in that first stint. Had four turnovers pretty much immediately, was taken advantage of in a lot of cases, just didn't really seem like he was ready for that moment. Uh, he's Lithuanian, so I wonder if there are connections in Denver's front office, uh, Marty Potius and uh, other particular guys in the front office that are looking to kind of branch out there. But uh, we will see if he gets another opportunity. I hope he does get an upper, another opportunity because this one was a bad one. Uh, but it will be interesting to see whether he can recover from this because you never want to write off a guy immediately, but he didn't look comfortable. Looked very, very uncomfortable out there. 
Uh, the next couple guys that did look comfortable out there were Devon Reed and Zylan Cheatham. Um, Zylan Cheatham, uh, Cheatham. If I, I'm going to pronounce all of these guys' names incorrectly, uh, but Zylan Cheatham, uh, he was a minus 28 in his 25 minutes. So I'm not sure whether he was really super impactful out there or not. But he just seemed like a guy who was hustling, doing his job, trying to get to the rim, put pressure on everybody. Had three offensive rebounds, which led the team. Uh, nine points, five rebounds total, one assist. Did have two turnovers, but uh, this is an example of a small forward for a team needing to be able to shoot and needing be, to be able to put pressure on the perimeter. Uh, Denver didn't have that, and the Miami Heat did. They had Max Struess, who I think started for them at small forward, if I'm not mistaken, and he was very clearly a a lethal shooter, as were all of these guys. They shot 37% from the field, did a good job. Denver as a team, they shot 24% on less attempts. Denver always have to have guys that are willing to space the floor and can do so within the flow of the offense off the catch. Uh, Max Struess was able to do that. Zylan Cheatham, uh, we will see if he's able to shoot at the NBA level. That seems to me like the reason why he didn't stick around. Uh, because if he was a six seven guy who could shoot, he would be sticking around because he has a lot of other good intangibles that I think teams would be interested in. Devon Reed, he showed that he could shoot. Uh, he played the most minutes of any player on the Nuggets roster and was a late ad. Uh, he's from Miami, drafted in the early second round a few years ago in the 2017 draft by the Phoenix Suns. Never really got to latch on. I'm pretty sure he was in the Chinese League, if I'm not mistaken, prior to this. But 15 points, three rebounds, one assist, one steal, one block, only one turnover. Uh, five of eight from the field, three of five from three, had the jump shot working. And he's one of those guys that Devon Reed's pretty big. Like, at least it shows up through the screen that he was a pretty good-sized player. And because of that, you think, okay, if you can just get the jumper to work and you can get the head on straight and try to figure out, okay, how are we going to maximize players' talents based off of how physical they can be? Uh, he seems like a guy who could potentially do that. So right now he is listed at only six foot four and one ninety two, but he looked bigger than that. It looked looked like he played bigger than that. Uh, perhaps his wingspan is a lot longer, in which case you can uh, you could definitely see why he was drafted in the manner that he was by the Phoenix Suns. So I'm wondering to see if he can latch on. He would be like. Of the group that played in this game today, perhaps he and Caleb Agata are the ones that I would point to as the guys that really stood out. Finally, two more. Uh, Daniel Hamilton, he didn't have a good shooting night, to be clear. Um, he was one of the players that was added uh, today, I'm pretty sure, signed to a two-way, con or not a two-way, but uh, uh, to a summer league deal. They brought him on so that they would be able to ensure that they could play. And he didn't waste any time getting shots up, but 0-4 from 3, 1-7 of seven from the field. It is what it is, but he did grab 11 rebounds and had two assists and two steals. So you like when people are active 
in their minutes and give you a great opportunity. Like 11 rebounds in 20 minutes is great. And he's not a big guy. I think he was about 6'5", if I'm not mistaken. So having guys like that, uh, that you can add to the hustle level of your summer league team, that is really important on the fringes. Uh, and then uh, Georgie Bezan- Bezanishvili. Georgie Bezanishvili. Uh, that is the name of the Illinois forward slash big man that the Nuggets added. And he is starting in place of Zeke Naji. Uh, only played 1437. Uh, didn't have a great game per se. Four points, three rebounds, three turnovers. Had five fouls in his minutes. He, op- he did open up the scoring with a nice move in the post. Uh, what I will say about Georgie, he is probably going to be a guy that his lack of foot speed and at 6'9", that is going to be a really big impactor. Like you could really see the lack of foot speed at the college level. And so at the NBA level, I think that's going to cause him to foul a lot. It's going to cause him to be a pretty bad defender at the outset. But if he's surrounded by guys that are that are smart, that are able to set him up pretty well, that don't put him in bad positions on the defensive end consistently, then maybe he's got a future. He seems like another guy that Denver, like they added him and it was made public that they added him. So there was somebody that wanted his name out there and he's clearly talented. Um, He was a guy at Illinois who they brought in new talent and that new talent really helped push them over the top. But he was a uh, multi-year player there at Illinois for a team that went to the final four, along with Ayo Desumu, Kofi Cockburn. Those guys really pushed them over the top, but Georgie was there and he was pretty good. So we are going to see what happens with him. We're going to see what happens with the rest of these guys. But for now, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about Michael Porter Jr. and tampering. But first, those are not together, by the way. Uh, But first, this podcast, as you know, it is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. I love DraftKings. Was just on it earlier today. They are doing a new promotion where they are going to go to single game parlays. And so this is something that people have been asking for. It's something that you can do on other platforms. And now you can do here. You can have a great opportunity to bet on multiple outcomes in a single game, pair them together, get yourself some better odds, get a great opportunity to make a killing. So that is awesome. And I love what you can do. What's different things that you can combine together, whether it's points, rebounds, uh, certain spreads, three-pointers made, things like that. All of it can happen at DraftKings Sportsbook. All you have to do when you sign up, use promo code MHS. Let them know that you came from me. Let them know that you're listening to the pod. It's always a really, really great help. So if you can, MHS must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, wager paid out in site credits, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. All right, we're back. Pickaxe and Roll here. Ryan Blackburn, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, wanted to 
take some time uh, kind of on the back end of this pod to talk about two different things that I think came out over the course of these past couple days. Uh, I had presented some questions about the MPJ extension, Michael Porter Jr., and why it hadn't happened yet, because he's a high-profile rookie or high-profile young player who is up for his new rookie extension and, in my opinion, has done enough to warrant a max deal. He has produced in his time, and it wasn't perfect when it got to the playoffs, but to question it would be to question Denver's situation, I think. And I think that that's a reasonable claim to make, that Denver was in a very inopportune situation when it came to the playoffs, when it came to how potent certain players could be on a consistent basis. Uh, Michael Porter was put into a really, really tough spot, an impossible spot in a lot of cases. He made it work against the Portland Trailblazers, had some really good moments during that series, and against the Phoenix Suns, well, they were the team that went to the to win on or went on to win the Western Conference. And I know that there are a lot of people that were left with a bad taste in their mouths based off of what happened, but he tweaked his back in the first game of that series. Clearly wasn't the same. Games one, two, and three started to look a little bit more like himself in game four from a physicality standpoint, but look, the damage had already been done at that point, and it's tough. It's really, really tough to figure that out in just your second year playing. And given the COVID times, given all of the things that have really happened, like during a very short amount of time that have disrupted his personal development, I tend to kind of look back at the big picture instead and just say, hey, look, this is a guy who when he is on, when he is at his best, there are very few players in the NBA that are more lethal, that are more dominant especially from a shooting perspective. When he is surrounded by talent, and when that talent also looks to him to deliver, he has delivered. We saw it. When he was at his best was in March, April, and May, where Denver was able to go get Aaron Gordon, where they were able to put Michael Porter in a better situation, where he was more comfortable after kind of struggling to find his place at the beginning of the season, whether he was in the starting lineup, on the bench, out with COVID, trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to be able to defend and also find my offense? And it took him a little bit, but he found his confidence. He found his abilities. And in my opinion, it was it was signed and delivered after the 22-point first quarter that he had against the Portland Trailblazers in Game 6. He had the game-winning shot in Game 5, a double overtime game where Damian Lillard put up 55. MPJ had the game-winning game shot in that one. And then he also followed it up with 22 straight points where Denver just went to him consistently and said, hey, we need you to shoot. We need you to make a bucket. And he did. Very few players in NBA history, NBA playoff history, have ever been able to do that. And most of them are pretty damn good. Almost all of them are worth a max deal. So, my question at that point was, so what's the holdup? So what's wrong? 
Why hasn't this happened yet? Why isn't this done? Why wasn't this a priority? Much in the same way that Denver had signed their previous guys. Think back to the offseason in 2018. Two players Denver signed during that time, Nikola Jokic and Will Barton. They both happened very early in free agency. Nikola Jokic's deal was basically hour one, hour two of that free agency period. It might have been at the stroke of midnight, actually, now that I think about it. Fast forward a year, 2019 free agency. Jamal Murray, coming off of a really interesting playoff run himself, where he showcased both ups and downs, but didn't necessarily know what was going to happen. Didn't necessarily know how he was going to continue to develop. And the Nuggets said, no, we don't care. We believe in your talent. We believe in what you can do. And we are going to hand out a max contract to prove it. And I would say that Jamal Murray has proved it. And it sucks that he's currently out with the torn ACL. Now we're here. Now we're waiting for the Michael Porter Jr. news. And I wonder if there are other potential holdups. If there are reasons why Denver hasn't gotten those deals done. I've heard from different sources around the league, around the Nuggets, that would know about some of these things. That, look, we aren't going to rush into this. We're going to take our time. Nobody is panicking. The Nuggets, Michael Porter, his camp, they're not trying to panic and get a deal done immediately. Like, they both know what they want. And the surprising part is that if both parties know what they want, then what's the holdup? Tim Connolly specifically said after the playoffs, after the draft, I think, that, hey, we've taken care of our players before, and we're going to take care of Michael Porter Jr. Or not take care of. They didn't say that specifically. He says, we we have a history of taking care of our players. And so the natural implication of that is that they would take care of Michael Porter Jr. and they probably would max him. So my belief is that there are some sort of holdups, that there's a reason why this hasn't been signed, because I can't imagine that such a big deal, such a massive contract, that, hey, Michael Porter could tear his ACL tomorrow. Knock on wood. Listen to it here. Knock on wood that he would get injured or potentially hurt his back. But as somebody like him, who wants probably that security of a $170 million contract, that he would try to lock it in. The Nuggets, I have to imagine that they would want the security of locking in what I think is going to be the next 25 to 30 point per game scorer in the NBA. He is about to score a crap ton of points next year. There's going to be a lot of opportunities. You're probably starting Monte Morris and Aaron Gordon. Will Barton will be your third option. Nikola Jokic loves to pass. Michael Porter is going to score a ton of points. So there's going to be a team out there next year that if you don't come to an agreement, if you can't decide on specific things, then you're trying to haggle over various things. 
whether it's injury sliders, whether it's uh, compensation boosts, whatever. If you wait around and Porter has an opportunity to go sign another deal with another team, and he is upset with the organization that they didn't want to sign him outright, then he could go and easily sign a 3-plus-1 deal with a new team. And that's pretty scary if you're the Nuggets. The Gordon Hayward situation with Utah, that is constantly mentioned as the example of a team burning their bridge with their player, with their really talented player, that if they had kept them, things could be really different for the Jazz organization. In a better way. Denver now. I don't think they should be messing around. However, the fact that they are kind of taking their time here gives me pause and has me start thinking about, okay, the Nuggets aren't a dumb organization. They know how to build a team. They know how to cultivate a good culture, how to maximize what they can do. And so it leads me to believe that there's probably a reason why this thing hasn't been done. And so I am just going to continue to think about what that reason could be, whether it's just because they want to be patient and both sides are happy and they just like, it it doesn't feel like something that should be hanging out there. Now, there might be other reasons behind the scenes that are preventing them from doing business. We just had a bunch of players go out due to health and safety protocols in Summer League that I'm sure the front office signed and shook a lot of their hands, met with all of them. So perhaps there's something going on at the Nuggets organization that I don't, I'm not really privy to. That is pure conjecture, by the way. That is not reporting. And it would be irresponsible of me to say anything else. But what I will say is I'm just shocked that this deal hasn't been done. This is the biggest moment in Michael Porter Jr.'s career to date. This is the time where he gets to lock in a massive amount of money that will take care of his family for the rest of his life. His brother and sisters have had their major injury problems. They may not have another opportunity to continue to set themselves up for the rest of their life. Michael Porter has had injury issues, had two major back surgeries. Why wouldn't he lock this in? That is my question, and I think it's a fair one. I don't think I've heard any reason that would kind of dispel my notions as to why this hasn't been done. I haven't heard it directly. So, with that in mind... Hopefully this gets done sooner rather than later and we can stop talking about it. I would love to be able to not talk about it or at least talk about the fact that Michael Porter Jr. is going to be a nugget for a long time. That should be an exciting thing for a lot of people. We'll see what happens. Last thing I want to wrap up on is tampering and how it's dumb. Uh, Lonzo to the Chicago Bulls. That deal, as well as Kyle Lowry and the sign-and-trade to the Miami Heat, those both of those deals have both been flagged for potential tampering charges. It's hard to think about, like, what, what does it actually mean? Why are these things happening here? 
it just seems like there's an ongoing question as to why some of these things are why these things are being held up. Last year, the league held up the Bogdan Bogdanovich deal because basically Andrew Wojnar or H- Andrew Adrian Wojnarowski reported it early that uh, Bogdan and the Bucks had been talking, and so people, particularly those that were interested in getting Giannis, like the Dallas Mavericks, Miami Heat, they both raised a stink about that particular deal. And so, it just seems to me like these teams are a little bit, um, there's a little bit of calling the kettle black here, and Kyle Lowry going to the Miami Heat in the sign and trade that was reported days in advance, basically, that that was what he wanted to do. No real secret around the league. And the fact that the machinations of that deal, including Goran Dragic, um, Precious Achua, going back to the Raptors, the fact that those players and it had the actual deal had been reported is pretty bad. Not a good look for the league. There will be some scrutiny around that for sure. Uh, what I will say about that one and about the Lonzo one is I just don't really care. <laughs> like I don't really care about it because here's the the dirty little secret about the NBA. Uh, Lonzo to the Bulls was tampering. Lowry to the Heat was tampering. Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker to the New York Knicks, that was tampering. Jeff Green to the Nuggets, that was tampering. I very much doubt that the Nuggets were able to get into get into a call with Jeff Green's agent and fully get everything set up that they're able to call and get into contact with him and then in the next couple hours have a deal drawn up and have a deal really agreed to during that time. I have to imagine that just like all these teams, those players and those organizations were talking for days. It's all tampering. All of these calls, they're happening early. So, the rules, in my opinion, or the way that we legislate the rules, have to change. The Bucks were penalized for dealing with Bogdan Bogdanovich early. They were given a fine. They're out of a draft pick. Uh, not great. And if that had penalized them for winning a title when so many of these other teams have been like slapped on the wrist a little bit on their way to winning a title and it hadn't really affected them, that would have been really, really bad. Like if the Bucks didn't win this past year over the Suns and it was because they needed another versatile shooter and creator that they could have had with Bogdanovich, that would have been tough. But I'm thinking in this case that the NBA wants to have their cake and eat it too. They want a spectacle when NBA free agency opens. They want all of these teams to be signing players left and right, to be able to draw up those ratings, draw up that interest, keep the NBA a 12-month league, a year-round league. And the best way to do that is to keep them hyper-focused on the offseason. The draft, free agency, 
all of the moves that happen in those times. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have an event like that that starts at a specific time and then expect the deals to roll in at that time without having no tampering at all. There are so many things that have to be talked about, that have to be discussed, agreed to. It's a farce. It really is a farce, what's going on. And it's too bad that we're in the situation where we feel like we could penalize a couple teams here or there when all 30 teams are really doing it. Like this isn't this is a universal issue. This is something that they said that the tampering charges, the tampering policy like that it would limit some things, but it really is a competition to see who the first person to get caught fully red-handed is. Who the first person is to leak the info to Woj to get other teams to back down or if it's an opposing team to leak that deal that's potentially happening to try to get another team in trouble so that they get the tampering charge, not you. It's a farce. What the NBA needs to do at this point is to amend that rule. They need to have it so the agents... Right now, the agents aren't supposed to be able to talk the teams. We really need to have it so that the agents can just talk the teams freely. It doesn't have to be the players. Like legislate the player-to-team discussion. Players can already talk to other players about teaming up. Agents, they're already talking to other teams. So why make it illegal? Just make it legal at this point. Amend the rule. Tell them that if any deal with a new team leaks before free agency, that they won't be able to sign with that team. So everybody has to button it up. Because all of these agents have other clients, and they deal with all 30 teams. You have to maintain your relationships. So if you're going to start burning bridges in that way, this has already happened with Rich Paul, with Mark Bartlestein, with all of these agents before, that there are certain teams that they're going to be on thin ice with because of how they handle their business. You have to find a way... To make it a directly kind of an agent's fault, I think, or a team's fault in order to really penalize things. If any deal with a new team leaks, and it has to be new, it can't be with the existing team, it has to be a new team. If that leaks before free agency, then they won't be allowed to sign with said team. That'll keep things under wraps, in my opinion. And then you can, if, if there's an investigation that needs to go on, if, if such, such a thing happens, and you can point to a different team as being the reason for said information getting out, then you can cross that bridge when you come to it. But if anything, that's just a Hail Mary from an opposing team trying to get another in trouble. Trying to get a player or an agent in trouble. I think that's better than the system that we currently have. But there are ways that can make this better. The current system, not it. You can't have the entertainment and the proper business procedure. Like, it's different, I think, if Magic Johnson goes on a popular late-night television show 
and winks at the audience about recruiting stars to the Lakers, about trying to get guys like Anthony Davis there and Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard and people like that. It's different when you're just flaunting it. Just keep it under wraps. Try to keep everything private. Let people be surprised. If certain rumors pop up, that's great. But in my opinion, if you are going to cultivate good relationships with teams, agents, insiders, you want to keep this stuff under wraps if you can, and then leak only when necessary, only when you have something like really solid, and try to do so like within reasonable time of the deadline, as opposed to three or five days beforehand. Previously with the Bogdanovich stuff, it was at the draft, although Last year, the draft and free agency happened two days apart, so it's not like that's crazy. So, that's my rant. That's my thing about the tampering. It's tough. It's annoying. It's stupid. That's my opinion. There are certain teams that can get away with stuff. Not every team can get away with things. And if you have an enemy, then they could really make your life hell. So, we should probably try to rein it back in, is all I'm saying. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. At some point here soon, I'm going to be taking a break. I'm not sure if it's going to be now or going to be later. I will be taking a trip kind of towards the beginning of September. But don't have to worry about that now. Uh, Looking to kind of step back the coverage a little bit. Might be going from three episodes to two here at some point. I don't think I'm going to be recapping every single um, game, but I might have an episode on Wednesday. I'll let you know. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support. We'll talk to you guys very soon.